It's funny though, because I actively go into project management software every day where all of our projects are, and I pull them out and put them into my text file. <laughs> so I know what to work on that day. <laughs> I think it means our brains have pretty good RAM, ultimately. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, that's probably the real answer to the project management software debate is you need to understand what needs to be in your long-term storage and then RAM. And once your RAM's maxed out, got to hire a new person yeah my uh my ram manager in my brain though is really loud and really anxious <laughs> so if it's not also written down on paper he's like hollering and screaming and running around in circles all day needs a hard reset what was that thing you thought of this morning <laughs> Hey, everybody. It's the Data Driven Marketer, sponsored by NetWise. I'm Adam. I'm Brian. Hey, I'm Rob. Welcome back for another Hang in the Data Basement. Thanks for joining us. And special thanks to our guest this week. I think our first returning guest. Yay. Rob Armstrong, uh, SVP of product at IOTA. Um, and uh, this is also, I think, our first second episode in a series uh so i will link to the previous episode where you can really get the the 45 minute rundown on rob's background and and why he's here to talk about the topic today which is uh cookie-less and cookies and the state of cookies in the <laughs> world and what's going on with them that you keep hearing about them all of a sudden um yeah rob thanks for thanks for jumping on for Round two. Yeah, this is exciting. Groundbreaking. Uh... Yeah, so so just really quickly before we jump in, uh, assuming that some subset of people won't have listened to the previous episode and never will, you might <laughs> give us a quick quick rundown on you know uh, your background and why you're the one that we tapped to, to talk to us about this stuff. Well, sure. Happy to. Uh, I've, I've been in ad tech and product roles for the last... 13 years and a number of those roles building uh, data products directly off of cookies and have had a great relationship with the NetWise team through a number of companies and over many years. And I've studied this quite a bit and at IOTA where we have a front row seat to the roller coaster ride that is hmm. the privacy shifts. Uh, IOTA was having a lot of roots in Europe rode right through GDPR and advised a lot of the industry and their partners on how to interpret the laws as they were coming out. And so uh, we have an opportunity again to help help lead the industry as we, we find our way uh, into a cookie-less future. You are definitely the, uh, the brain we go to with any sort of industry direction, strategy, shifts in policy and tech, tech integrations industry-wide. You, you are just always so deep in the weeds with this stuff. It's super helpful to, to know you and, and have you share your wisdom with us. It's not a boring position to be in, that's for sure. <laughs> um, where should we get started? I mean, we're not talking about chocolate chips, right? I mean, <laughs> no. what is a cookie? No, we're not talking about mm. delicious morsels. So yeah, last time <laughs> I think we just barely ended with actually talking about what is a cookie rather than sort right. of the history of this stuff and how we got up to cookies. Right. So yeah, I think that's the place to start. Uh, what, 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 what is a cookie? Yeah. Actually. So as your browser interacts with web pages, those are hosted by servers. The interaction uh, creates a state challenge where 
the server doesn't necessarily know when you're coming back or whether the same person or session is is maintained. And so a cookie is a way for the server to immediately connect to data that it has collected and attach it together. So for example, if you're on an e-commerce site and you start to fill up the shopping cart, your power goes out, you can go back to that site and like magic, those things that you added to your cart are, are there again. And there's many such examples of ways that cookies can be used, but effectively it's a it's a code file that's stored on your device and allows for that entity to recognize you later. And um, there's a big difference between first and third party cookies, right? So third party cookies allow for connecting that uh, identity across different sites. And we say sites, we're talking about top level domain, like facebook.com, netwise.com, iota.com, et cetera. So one entity could have uh, a cookie that's the same cookie that gets updated as you traverse those sites. A first party cookie would be something that lives only under the specific site. Um, and so as you, as in those three examples, one of them may have a whole lot of data, even though it's a first party cookie. In fact, far more than a third party cookie any average third-party cookie would. And so at the same time, the an, uh, a perception, uh, importance of perception is when I'm on a site and I get a cookie from the site, I know where the cookie is coming from because I'm on the site. Whereas a third-party cookie, I have no idea who is dropping it mm-hmm. and where it's coming from. And that creates the spooky factor uh, that is in part led us to, to where we are today with the cookie mm-hmm. crumbling. Yeah, because you kind of implicitly are giving permission for a first-party cookie, right? You went to that domain or you clicked that link on purpose to go there. Right. That site, that server that you're accessing could allow any third-party cookie to come on now, and you don't necessarily know if you're not watching. So, that's right. And yeah. and I'm not taking any judgment yet on anything, but that's sure. technically that, what's going on. Because I know yeah. everybody does this, right? When you Every site you visit, you immediately go to the privacy policy, and you read about what how they're <laughs> handling your data. <laughs> So, so legally, uh, that, that presence of pro- policy gives the air cover for the first party cookie to be this thing that's very transparent about what it's doing. A third party cookie, you don't necessarily even know whose entity it is, what mm-hmm. is where to find their privacy policy. Mm-hmm. Um, so legally, that's, that's a bit of a challenge in the world of regulation. Do we, do we know why it's called a cookie? That's hmm. a really good question. If if we had the it's Joe Rogan question. guy that like does research live. <laughs> yeah, as soon as be... I asked that, we can ask Jamie to look it up for us real quick. Yeah, so we could Google it. But I guarantee you the answer is just, it was a clever name from some, you know. But the idea, like some, so, so, uh, probably Brandon Ike or something, inventing JavaScript. But I think it comes from the idea of leaving crumbs behind, ultimately, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. A trail of crumbs. And but it's, yeah, the, it's a friendly term. Yeah, it sounds well, but it's, it's a friendly use case. I do not want to have to re-log in every time I open a new tab on <laughs> Facebook yeah. or whatever. Wait, I want to share you know? the, the reason. I'm not going to fact check this real time. I'm just going to trust this site. But it says it, it it's derived from a larger term magic cookies that is coming from the idea of a fortune cookie. And so it's a cookie with an embedded message. So it's like a secret little thing that gives you gives you magic information inside. <laughs> Does wow. that does that, that make it good. sound more or less creepy? 
It, it, uh, if only our cookies all came with a lot of numbers as well. But the point either way is it's it's not creepy from a computer science let's code up an app standpoint, right? You have to use local storage for things to make any app work, especially an app talking to something across the network. Like even just to read a web page, it's compiling it and building a thing on your device in the browser based on the code that it's you know pulling onto the site, right? The idea of the cookie is essentially just, we need a place to put a chunk of code so that we can know that you're still logged in or your cart's there, or, you know, whatever, right? Like you said. That's right. Um, and, and the industry for a long time has made a very red line drawn around what could be against a cookie. And this is where some of the GDPR laws have sort of blown up the concept or greatly changed the concept of what is, what is personal data. But anytime in, in the last seven, eight, nine, ten years that a cookie is being built in the industry for use by anybody, there's no name, phone number, email address that's, that's readable attached to it that's then transacted upon or sold to others. And that's pretty important. What is, so the technical term is pseudonymized, where that cookie does represent somebody, a person, an individual, but it, it's not an identifier that can trace back to Brian Jones. Um, so the cookies of an IOTA are one, two, three, four, five, six, and you could see that file and you would have no idea like what exactly is that if you came behind the walls within an IOTA or other type of business that has audience data, you would see things like auto and tender or male or female or, uh, interested in shopping or, uh, potentially a, you know, what industry you work for. So fairly benign information. Um, there are concepts that we probably don't want to get into, like K anonymity and things where if you combine a bunch of these together, you might be able to find an identity. For example, a job title at a very specific company in a specific location where you could back into that form of identification. But ultimately, cookies are IDs and they're, they're pretty benign that way. I think the biggest challenge, and this is the heart of the matter, is they're they're completely unfettered and unconstrained by browsers un until recently with Firefox and Safari in the sense of how cookies interact with each other. And the problem, the great problem of building commerce off cookies, which is for everyone who creates a cookie, their ID is going to be different for the same person. Whereas if I'm looking at someone's hashed email address, which is irreversible, uh, a bunch of garbly gook, I, I, a string of characters that preserves uniqueness, but can't be brought back to the email address as it was. So you can't really ever email the person or discover their identity. That's hashing. Um, or something like uh, a mobile ID. Those ID or CTV IDs now, like your Samsung ID. To everybody else, every party in the ecosystem, your ID is the same. So if I, if I have data about this ID, I can share it with someone and they can use it. They have the same ID. When it comes to cookies, everybody has a different ID. And so what do we do? Well, then we, it, it creates this whole pixel party on the page 
where if I want to share my data with LiveRamp and Oracle and TradeDesk, I have to bring and invite their cookies in to then create a cookie on the user. And then at that point in time in milliseconds, we exchange information. We say, okay, I call it one, two, three, you call it ABC, great. And now we have a connection where when I send you data, I can send you data on the same, we're lining up apples to apples for each individual. And so that has created such problem because that is a huge cascade. Mm -hmm. There's literally now hundreds of cookies that get called just for the purpose of sharing information Mm -hmm. and doing commerce. And I think that spooks people. This was a right. unbelievable discovery for me when I started realizing what was going on here. Because if you think of it from like a, what is a good technical solution to, uh, if, if as an engineer, you went back and you're like, I'm going to invent something in the world for us to be able to all uh, track and, and run ads. This is so far from what you would build. It is <laughs> such a congested, complex uh, mishmash. It's, it's astonishing technology that so much can happen so quickly behind the scenes for all these companies and servers and systems to exchange information and track people. It's this weird, like distributed browser, browser enabled database, uh, for exchanging and tracking information. It's just, it's such a silly technology for something that maybe we'll get to this later or maybe in the next episode, but what the future could be if this were designed properly and transparently. Um, right. It, it just, it's crazy what's going on. Right. Yeah. And like I often yeah. say, it's just, it's, it's this, it, the idea of the cookie makes sense. You need to have that function to make the web app work the way that we want it to work. We have built it into this just cluster F mess of trying to achieve this other thing with it that we realized we could do as we started to piece the things together. But now it's, it, it, like you said, Brian, it's, it's crazy that once you realize what's happening and why it's happening and and how it's happening, all creepiness aside, it's just not the best solution for what we're trying to get done. And so we're going to talk, I think in the next episode about what those solutions are, but I love that you, you call it a pixel party. Like <laughs> that was great. It's the great thing phrase. that happens when people, you know, you install an ad blocker and the ad blocker to make its own point because they have their own agendas. It's an app and they make money. Like they have a counter for how many trackers were blocked. And you and you go and you load Twitter and it's like eighty nine of them. And you're like, what do you? What could that possibly even? And it's and I think that's the thing that's creating this public perception of like, why do you need eighty nine? you know, things on your way. Like every time I load the New York times, I go, what do you need 112 trackers for? Yeah. But the reality is they're just probably just loading the one or two ad networks. But then there's this piggyback cascade of just everyone. That's right. Everyone piles in their trackers so that they can link up this sort of distributed network that you talked about it, talked about. And like you said, Brian, it's, it's a stupid solution. Imagine if you're, we talked in a warm up episode for this series that's that's already come out i think we called it the id challenge you know there there's a very real thing they're trying to solve here which is there's a subset of stuff that i can't do unless i know that you are you and the way to think about that is just sort of like we have driver's licenses because there is a context where i need to make sure that you're you against some sort of database and there's a lot of that on the web too where 
it doesn't have to know that it's me, like Adam, but to be able to faithfully send me the next thing that I requested, you need to, you know, you need to, you need to know a, an address and a, and a this or that or another thing. Right. And, th- and that, that is just a computer science problem, yeah. what, you know, that ultimately we're trying to solve with the cookie, but it's also critical to how the web works. And I think the cookie system that gets us to the question of, well, why does this hot mess really exist? Like we've talked about the technology of why this hot mess exists. I think we have to, in this chunk of the the series talk about why it has propagated so much mm-hmm. right which is which is ultimately it's an id solution that is more or less open which is why the web is free yeah. other if as long as you pay an isp for your you know downstream right um so it's, the it's uh it's exponential in the sense of again that whole connectivity there's so much interlocking exchange of use cases and capabilities. And so in in a simple example of having a DMP, a marketer's data, first party, uh, their DMP enriched with third party data, a DSP to target new users and a publisher that originates users, there's at least five entities there that are creating cookies. That's not five pixels. That's five times four because each one has to sync with each other mm-hmm. right. to, to, in order to exchange between. I think with the math there is right. Someone will check that, <laughs> uh, maybe add it to the comments. But the, the whole idea is that, um, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a great workaround and it's, it's, not been, it's, it's not been the best for a couple of reasons. We've talked about pixels and also the latency they bring to pages, which is not good for anybody. Um, the other thing about cookies is they're pretty unstable. If, if I'm in the middle of loading, I get impatient, I leave. Well, some folks are going to get a cookie, some aren't. And then that connectivity is lost. Um, there's resetting of cookies, which happens through the browser at, at times. And oh, by the way, every single device you have with every single browser you have, that, that tuple of combination, each of those is a different cookie. So it's very common for a population that's active online to see many more cookies than people uh, in the population because of that proliferation. Uh, there's no understanding of when they expire. Like when does this? When did it get dropped by the user? There's no like, hey, I, I'm leaving now. Bye bye <laughs> ecosystem. It just. Uh, and then maybe maybe one of the favorite things is like what what's the solution for what the industry has tried to wrangle this in through like a universal opt-out what does the universal opt-out do it sets a cookie (laughs) well that's (laughs) that gets to a really fundamental aspect of the whole thing right and you run into this with gdpr when you're trying to be compliant you have to store information about the person who wants to be removed so you can make sure they're removed all the time it's just this fun we start to hit up with these privacy and id and tracking conversations you start to hit up like fundamental limitations of reality, right? If you exist, you you're there, you're being tracked in the universe. So yeah, right. That's a little bit what what I was what we what we talked about in that other episode, which is, you know, I mean, we pulled it back in that conversation, all the way from from, you know, not even in the digital world, right? ID is a challenge just out in the real world, and that's why we have 
government sponsored ID systems because it's necessary to be able to prove somebody's, you know, ident I identity. Sure. And it's just, you know, in the real world, it becomes easy past a point because you're standing in front of me. And so I know that you didn't change to someone else, like in the split second in between, but in the digital space, we don't know that for sure. And I don't mean like personal identity, but I logged in, I'm part of a session. You know, it's a button click away from swapping that with something else. Yeah. Theoretically. Right. So, so it is a considerably more difficult challenge than just like, oh, well, we need a universal ID system that's just like driver's licenses, but for the internet. It's sort of like, uh, it's not even that simple because we got to put a thing there to enable persistence. And now we have a, another layer of complexity. The, um, the, the point on GPR is a good one, Jones. And, and I've seen this a couple of times and it's, it's quite remarkable. A business that creates cookies is known to create cookies will get a request for discovery of what data do you have on me? You have my personal data. So it'll be an email. And in order to make that request, they have to verify their information. So suddenly now we have like a passport image uh, and we have all this like doc, doc, detailed information about your address, your full name, date of birth. And then it's like, what data do you have on me? And we have no idea unless you take all these steps to find your cookie ID. And at that point, now we have, you've just given us like the keys to know right. who right. you really are. <laughs> yeah. And well, now we'll just, fulfill your request and we, and delete it. But, you know, like that doesn't represents... have a nebulous blob of anonymized, like kind of just crap. And you just tied that to a whole host of personally identifiable information that is legitimately problematic if you're not a company equipped to house that kind of information on your server for example yeah it's just uh, i never really a, thought of that that's it's hilarious. such a funny space <laughs> with technology because on one hand this stuff is so the the consuming public of all of these technologies are so aware of it because it's become so effective at doing its job right it, i don't think anyone knew uh, I don't think anyone was worried about ad tracking and web tracking tracking until retargeting of purchases from big uh, retailers started happening. And when all of a sudden every, I remember, I don't know what this was like five, six, seven years ago, but everyone all of a sudden was like, I was shopping for shoes and I saw those shoes on the next website. And it just was like, it swept everyone. I remember having that conversation with like everyone I knew and it's, feels so personal it feels like a, everyone's looking into my life but the nature of the technology is just so vast that it can't be a it can't be other humans looking at you it can't be humans like being like you were shopping for nikes i'm gonna go like take this post-it and put it over on your on the next website you go to it just can't work that way and so it truly is this weird situation where like it is all this information attached to you but just not in a way that anyone knows or will ever see or will ever do anything with in like a personal sense. So it almost is kind of like the universe knows that you're buying shoes, but the universe doesn't care, right? The universe mm -hmm. isn't going to do anything about that. <laughs> yeah, it's quite benign. I mean, in in the, the building of these products and maybe two times in life, I can remember actually trying to trace what a cookie specifically was doing. And that was because we thought it was a fraud related or robot related mm -hmm. incident. Um, 
almost 99 point and some percent of the time it's it's looking at aggregated stats and directional information because it's such a huge vast surface area to your point i think mobile has a bit of a different conundrum and there there's this story actually quite recently of a a priest who was outed based on his his use of grinder and and that was you know if you trace a mobile id and its locations down to very specific gps points and you can find out the apps installed on the device i mean that can get that can get pretty damaging in in a very real world example um ironically though cookies are they don't have that precise location so you can't really do that to identify someone very easily i think one other thing to talk about with cookies it's important is you know, that whole pixel party, another thing that comes behind it or within it is this sort of unfettered increase of data exchange and a couple of things within this. One is that for a publisher, I mean, forget about control. It, it's not even about the, the tech they install, which they will look at one time before they roll it out and they have no idea like what might change behind the scenes and they can add tag monitoring and some there's more solutions now uh, than ever about that. But the other thing is like the ad slot itself. I mean, the ad slot is rendered on the page within an iframe. It can also create a cookie and guess what? It can bring with it its own pixel party. (laughs) And so an advertiser, uh, a smart one in the old days, um, some systems are more controlled on this now could just be jamming in collection techniques against the ads they're serving so that they're actually growing their own audience. So in all of this, publishers have had very little control and have lost out. They call it the, the data leakage problem, but um, this, is, this has led to, I think, a serious challenge. And then sort of the big one that, I mean, having been in this wild west and riding, riding different waves and doing different forms of innovation and in all the way building above board audiences that no one would ever look at and say, well, that's, that's problematic. Um, I've always been skeptical about what's so wrong with all this other than the publisher stuff. And then I came across a couple articles in, in doing some research around an expecting mom who lost her, had a, had a miscarriage and she's still getting ads about having a baby soon or that she had the baby. And like, that's terrible and she can't turn it off, you know, and that's, that's, that's tragic. And so I think there are absolutely ways that we can be improving this situation. Um, the challenge as an industry, it's ironic. We are so good at reaching the consumer, but we have no idea how to engage them our industry is so complicated. I think it makes it very mm-hmm. difficult. There's been efforts like, at, you know, the ad choices icon where every ad would have an mm-hmm. icon, but it just gets very complex very quick. So, yeah, I think I, let, let me take a crack at this. Cause I think I've, I've like five different post-its for points here, but I think it actually all threads together in everything that you've just been saying. So, and it goes and it starts, I think, from the publishers and a point I made earlier, this applies with TV too, right? The reason that TV is free is because the television programs draw your attention so that you can watch the ads, 
right? But we're not sketched out by the idea that we keep seeing the same Coke ad on every football game that we watch because the human brain can process the idea that somebody's out there saying, okay, it's a football game, probably the same people watch it. And you know, it's contextual, right? It's, it's, it's most likely the same demographics going to be watching this. I'm in that demographic. Yeah. It's football. Of course, they're going to show me Bud Light ads. We're not creeped out by that. Although technically that ad is following you from football game to football game, but it also isn't saying, you know, Hey, Brian, Right, but it's for sure identifying you as somebody who's mo- likely to enjoy light beer because of your because of your behavior, which is you know fairly personal. Um, when you carry that over to the internet, you, you know you don't have like the big four networks, and so you don't have clusters of attention behavior. Instead, you have thousands of blogs, and we all want those thousands of blogs to exist so that we can have the granularity of community and content and everything that, that everyone waxes poetic about on the internet. You know, you, you can go find your people. But those communities can't continue to exist unless we come up with a better solution for advertising. Like they either have to charge you money or we have to do advertising in a slightly different way because you can't just place a running bet that you're going to be on this mommy blog site. And so we can put diapers there. I mean, that does work, but it doesn't work well enough to support that blog. So we had to build a bigger internet wide sweeping system to be able to provide an ad, ad, ad powered solution that could pay for the open web to continue to exist. Mm-hmm. The problem is the size of that system ends up brain breaking. Like what Brian was talking about, like the idea that without it being creepy, a thing can follow you from site to site through retargeting is, is it, it does feel creepy because in the real world, <laughs> if somebody keeps popping up weird places and going, Hey man, do you want to buy some shoes? Like that's creepy. <laughs> right. Uh, and so there's, a, it's one of those things. It's like when you jump to the digital version of that, it's really hard. I think for people to understand that, Actually, it's not creepy because they don't really know who you are and they don't know what you're doing. And it's just this big algorithmic soup of like nonsense. And and in fact, Cookie's not even that great at its job. So so the data is not even necessarily that great all the time. Um, but then people see that. And like you said, they get they get creeped out by it. And then you kind of end up with this situation where. Now there's this public awareness and you're starting to get weird legislation, but then the system is so big that you can't even monitor it. So you can't go to the publishers and say, well, you have to stop doing this creepy behavior. And they go, I, I don't know, man, I'm just putting a tag on the website. And then stuff happens. Millions of requests happen so fast. It's not like you could even say, well, you're the, you're the request monitor. You sit here and you watch every request. Like that wouldn't work. So you end up needing to have software to monitor the thing that's monitoring the thing. And it just ends up being like a turtles all the way down situation where you just can't, you know, so, so, I mean, it's kind of maybe a perfect segue into the next episode, but we got to build some new stuff if we want Mm -hmm. to solve some subset of these problems so that we can have transparency so that we can have an easy way to shut off the the problem you were talking about with like the expecting mother and the, and that kind of stuff. And then ideally to build it in a way that doesn't break everyone's brain so they can feel safe because 
like you said, right now we just have this giant net that's so it's unfathomable and unfathomably large. Yeah. So to even try to think about it, like I got to use the weird philosophy philosopher part of my brain, not like the counting stones part of my brain. That's no 10, 12, 14. (laughs) Yeah. I just, I just want the conversation around things like this to be functional and practical Right. I think in just the way our world kind of works, right? Businesses do things and they do whatever they want until people decide they don't want them doing it anymore. And then you need like public buy in for the government to then do things. And that's what happens with big, lucrative industries, right? That are, are innovating. But there are really important things here, like the examples that you gave, Rob, right? Like real, real applications of where people's lives are, are being affected really negatively. Uh, because information about them that that shouldn't necessarily be out got out in a, in a way that it shouldn't, and then there there are broad implications for like the economics of how the internet works and how media works and how news works, and those things need to get addressed. But what really bugs me in a space like this is when we all get whipped up into like a false narrative around what's wrong, and what's what's wrong is not that Amazon can continue to sell me whatever I was looking at earlier, like later in the day, that's sort of representative of something, right? And I don't even necessarily think privacy is exactly what the problem is either. I think that's also made up narrative in a lot of ways because it's easy to get people mad about that. So I just, I I hate when tech is made to be the enemy when it's how we use it that's that's the problem a negative way that we're using something is the problem so right. i just want to be productive right i want to want more competition i want better better knowledge sharing on the internet i want economic models that work better for for people who produce media and, and enable the internet to be right this this super valuable gigantic global consciousness that allows us all to communicate and be in community together that's right and so when we come back to that whole first and third party situation it's uh it's a real tough one. Uh, there's a lot of publisher entities that own many different websites, but they're each a different domain. Then you have the Facebooks and Twitters and LinkedIn's that are one domain. And based upon the registration of user, the terms of service, the data being sucked up there is is ginormous, and it puts a lot of the publishers, smaller smaller businesses, at a real disadvantage even though the data itself that they're collecting at a third party scale doesn't, doesn't compare. So uh, there's a lot of story left to be told. Um, uh, We can, we'll touch on some of the crystal ball components of, for example, the fact that cookies are under attack, right? So they're very likely to go away. I think there's some degree of skepticism on that, but, I think it's a safe bet that they will, even though we got the delay uh, from Google. Their timelines are, are very specific now at privacysandbox.com. Um, so it's an exciting time. I, I you know, <laughs> being in an industry that relies on cookie for commercial use, and um, it certainly is a roller coaster ride. And um, I'm just excited for the day when we can all wake up. And we all look forward into the future and for the next decade forward, we see something that is going to be stable and widely used and standardized. Um, that'll be a really exciting time. <laughs> yeah. So I think the, the 
last thing I was going to bring up that I think is a good way to wrap this one up is, uh, you know, kind of spent the last 20 minutes talking about why cookies are a hot mess. And like you said, kind of why there's stuff on the horizon that we'll talk about in the next episode in the series. But I think there's kind of some like real talk things to bring up before we get to that stuff. That is like why, yeah, the hot mess is a little bit of why cookies are going away. But mostly cookies are going away because there are walled gardens that are currently dumping lobbyist and otherwise money into quote unquote solutions that actually are just blind power grabs, right? If the cookie goes away and all of the open stuff that I talked about ends up degraded, it's really good for Facebook. And if Google can lock it off and make make it make it a Chrome walled garden situation, that's great for Google, uh, but not good for the open web, right? right. So these, I mean, these are, this is a big battle between companies that have bigger revenue than the GDP of <laughs> not so small countries. Yeah, um, right. and I think the whole idea of that creepy person looking in. Apple has done a phenomenal, they have a great ad agency, you know, they create great messaging around their privacy and I worked there for honest, a while. the iPhone <laughs> doesn't have the best, the most exciting features and right. it's the cost keeps going up. So why not take a sledgehammer to privacy and, and play up that, that drum? Uh, they've, they've done it very well, but it is very self-serving. Yeah. Um, and it's okay to be self-serving and do things that you think are right. Like, I don't want to always hit on these big businesses, but it, this is such an interesting space where it's so obvious how the big companies are using the situation to right. benefit themselves and hurt their competition, right? Apple's play is to hurt Google, which actually is like worse in my mind than just doing something that helps you from like a big picture, make the world better with through capitalism kind of way. So it's, just complex. It's, it's... Yeah, I mean, I, I point that out, I think mostly just so people understand the landscape of the conversation, but also so anyone listening that you know is not deep in the marketing world and stuff understands that part of the reason you know about this right now is because Apple is running clever ads about the Pixel Party. It's not because it's actually messing with your life on a day-to-day -day basis and you should so really right. call your senator about it, right? Like, this public awareness is currently being driven by corporate entities that have a vested interest in you suddenly thinking, Oh my God, this cookie mess is untenable. You know, like, yeah, there is a hot mess, but you'll notice none of the hot mess we discussed. And really we would have pushed it if it were an important part of the conversation actually has to do with any sort of concern that, you know, like you said, the thing with the priest, that was a very specific circumstance and it takes a lot of effort to do what those journalists did. And that's one of those things where I tend to feel like, yeah, they could have done that anyway. If they wanted to, they would have just hired a private investigator and creepily followed them on the street. They just didn't have to leave their desk to do it because modern technology is what it is. But the reality is this doesn't matter to most people. And like even GDPR was a hot mess as a solution to try to fix it in a way that's, you know, again, it's, I get that the European Union is trying to, you know, be out ahead on corp on, on consumer What's funny protections. There is, but... As the UK pulls back from and becomes independent, they're now talking about removing some of that cookie banner that's friction. All that today. Yeah. Um, and I think that points to, there's a couple other examples here of 
ultimately consumers will decide. And we have to be honest that even though there are big corporations and it's easy to gang up on them here as, as small representing small companies, there are still some people who are very, very passionate about privacy. And um, that's great. Like we welcome their voices. They, they are loud voices at times, but ultimately consumers are, are somewhat lazy and I'm one of them. So for example, when I go to search for something, I don't like having to manually enter my location each time. I want the browser to know my location. I want the search engine to know my location. It's nice that the search engine knows what other people are searching around me because that makes it more relevant. Uh, Apple has a hide my email feature. It is really frustrating to use because as soon as you use it and send it out, then if you have to respond, well, who are you now? Because you're responding with, and what's your email if it's customer service? I don't know. It was a garbly gook message <laughs> from Apple. I have to go find it. So I think ultimately simplicity will win the day. And this whole retargeting idea is like, sometimes it's nice to remember what I was shopping for yesterday because I forgot. And I remember it was kind of interesting. So I think there's a lot of promise and hope here. It's up to, up, up to us in the industry to figure it out. And that sounds like a great place to wrap this one up because next episode we're talking about all of the hopeful possible solutions and all that kind of stuff. So if you want to catch that next one, like, subscribe, follow us wherever you found us in the first place, if you've made it this far in this episode. Or I first, I should say, thanks for joining us, Rob. This is great. <laughs> this is fun. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and yeah, thanks everybody for listening. This has been the Data Driven Marketer, sponsored by NetWise. I'm Adam. I'm Brian. And I'm Rob. Take it easy, everybody.